Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a celebrated chef showcasing the rich and vibrant flavors of Peruvian cuisine and dropping his next big project. He's an executive chef and founder of Artisano Restaurant and Ailu Restaurant. It's Rodrigo Fernandini. Rodrigo, welcome to the podcast. Some of our listeners might recognize you from your large social media presence or your dig in with episodes on foodnetwork.com. So we're going to start there. We're going to dig in a little more with you here on Food Network Obsessed. Sound good? Absolutely. Jamie, how are you? I'm so happy to be here on your podcast. Thank you so much for the invite. I can't wait to chat with you and, you know, get your audience to get to know me a little bit more and have fun. Absolutely. Have fun. That's the number one role here on the podcast. In both of your Dig In With episodes, I love how you talk about your Peruvian grandmother as your inspiration and beyond her sharing, you know, her recipes with you for ceviche and chicken stew with rice. Could you share how exactly she influenced your culinary journey? Absolutely. So my... My interest for for the food started at a very young age, I would say around five. I remember walking in the kitchen, seeing my grandma and my mom sweating garlic and onion in the (laughs) pot in preparation for lunch that day. And that's something that was like a natural perfume in my house back in the day. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, what is that smell every time? And I really like it. My mom and grandma were very curious about my interest of asking questions about the smell. So they're trying to like show me a little bit more to see if I'm really interested. Like, hey, you want to see what we're doing? And I remember me putting my whole head inside the pot, like just to <laughs> deep breath the smell. And I was like, I, from that moment, I fall in love with the kitchen. You know? So my grandma, every time she cooks, she always tried to bring me, take me to the mercado, just to show me how to recognize a good tomato, how to show me how to recognize an apple. And it was a game, you know? And I think that... It's nice to, that you recognize with somebody, for example, my, I just had a, a baby boy, Luca, he's mm-hmm. nine months old. So I'm already planning on that when he started recognizing, I'm, I'm like playing around with him, you know, give him a strawberry, give him a little bit of a, a mango, see what his reaction is. So my grandma is like, even today that she's not really with me physically anymore. She's still in my heart. And like, even today that I'm a, I'm all an old person, 
uh, comes to me with the lessons that I want to teach my kid, knowing how to influence him, not necessarily for him to become a professional cook, but to appreciate the product, no? like where it comes from, like the work it takes to be in your plate. And all those things make me to really appreciate the, the work of everybody when they put a, a dish together. So if you make you think a little bit more of like the whole picture, no? I love your stories about, you know, you as a kid and and, and those smells and st- sticking your head inside an entire pot. But what was the first thing that you actually learned to cook on your own? Rice. <laughs> uh, Peru is big in rice. We have one of the reasons why Peruvian gastronomy is so big is we, we have influence from many cultures around the world. Mm-hmm. And rice, we're like so big in rice, like almost any traditional Peruvian dish is with rice. So, and we are very proud about the way we cook rice. So it's not like, so when I moved to America, quick, quick, short story, we got like steamed rice, right? You got Chinese food, you get steamed rice. And normally it's literally rice boiled with water, right? But in Peru, we actually, even if it's a plain rice, we make a, we sweat a little bit of garlic with oil and then we add the rice and we cook it nice and slow. And then we add the salt. We season the water just like a salty water, but it's not salty at the end. It's perfectly balanced. So Peru, a Peruvian had to make rice well. And we don't use rice pot. We do, you have to do that. You don't even do like, okay, one cup. You literally open the bag, do it like this, open the sink, measure the water, put your finger just to make sure it's the right amount. And then you... You, you nail it, no? and, and that's kind of like, okay, you, the first lesson, you need to make how to make rice. So that's what I so, did. So how, how was your first rice making experience? Did you get it on the first try? That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. And the second one was even worse. Because really? I, yeah, because I, I thought like I wanted it to do it like Peruvian style. Like you nail it, you just go like that. And it put too much water and literally it looked like a rice pudding. So it wasn't <laughs> good. It wasn't good. And then I, the second time I did the opposite. I put too too much rice, too less water. So when I try and I'm like, oh, this, this is looking good because I had the memory for the first time and it was undercooked. So it was hard mm. at the buy. And I was like, oh my God, this is not good. My grandma come and tells me, okay, we're going to do this the right way. So she showed me, you know, you have to do this step by step. And and this is it's funny because those memories tell me that you need to respect the process, right? Mm. There is something that you cannot rush, even to make a simple rice dish. It's different when you sweat the garlic for five for 20 seconds than just throw everything together and, um, and send it. It's going to be okay, but it's, there's always a way to make it better. And mm-hmm. that's when you say, okay, there's no shortcut for doing the right thing, right? I, I know you said that she continues to inspire you, even though she's not here physically. What are some like specific dishes on your menus or things that you make on a regular basis that still kind of pay homage to her memory? Well, um, I well, I have a restaurant in New York City called Artesano, mm-hmm. and I know we're not there yet, but a lot of my menus inspire in seafood, where I'm from, in the north, from the sea, but at home, I really like homey dishes, all right? Mm-hmm. I don't do fancy stuff. Of course, sometimes I, I, I throw a tomacag in the grill for the family and we just slice it and eat it all together. But normally I do like stews, you know, like soups, something with rice, quick, simple salads. We try to eat very balanced at the house. And well, my Luca is still a, a baby, so he's not eating a lot these days. But of course, I plan to to start cooking him, teaching him the basics as soon as he can. But back here with my wife, we, you know, always as protein with a little bit of stew, some rice, some potatoes, Peru eat a lot of potatoes. So of course, the first month we were living together, like, dude, can you change a little bit of car? Like, can we do like sweet potatoes or something? Like, okay, okay. Yeah, we can do like that. Like, I'm from Peru. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, okay, fair, fair. So, yeah. <laughs> What are some other maybe, you know, traditions or dishes from your family that hold a, a special place in your heart? Well, ceviche, 100%. And mm-hmm. not only because it's a national pride, it's because it's funny when we're growing up, everything is about Peru, food in Peru normally. And we have our aunties, our tias, cousins. They always, when it's a birthday, for example, no, they normally bring a dish with them. But it's like a whole thing. And whoever had to bring the ceviche dish, oh my God, you better prepare because a lot of pressure. And normally <laughs> my grandma would be the one that opens it. Like normally when you bring the food, 
it's not like okay let's go it's like the grandma started it right so she started open the first dish and all the time she tries it and we're like oh my god here we go she's like oh it's amazing it's good so it's she never says something bad but it still okay. is like that that pressure you know because she's the best to be honest you know <laughs> i don't know how she does it but she used to be the best in everything about cooking but yeah that's like everything of the conditions is like always when we celebrate life when we celebrate an accomplishment for a family member is more significant to bring something that you homemade at your house that you took the time to cook to do even if it's a recipe that takes a couple of days than buy a, a, a expensive gift no we like kind of like it's kind of like cultural i don't know at least for my family that like, hey i make you this you know like mm -hmm. i cook for this for you, the heart. you know? yeah yes exactly and then you can slide out a gift card with it but you have to cook you guys cook something too you know you have to cook something i know you talk about your grandma a lot were there other family members who played a significant role in in kind of shaping this culinary journey for you or was she like kind of that that bright star that only star yeah no i mean definitely she was the one that started it the mm -hmm. one that was more i mean is i understand now that you made you asked me this question made me think like at back at that time she had a little more time too Mm -hmm. You know, like to to hang out around and teach me stuff. My mom was working, my dad as well. So they were teaching me some stuff, but wasn't like, oh, I have time to, you know, spend half of a one morning just to teach you how to do things. So even though she, they actually, when, when once I started showing real, real interest in cooking, my mom was like, okay, this weekend I'm going to show you this, this weekend I'm going to show you that. But they thought that this was, of course, I was a kid, so how would I know, right? Mm -hmm. I was doing it just for fun, something cheap to do because my mom was like, okay, it's the most important thing about cooking is washing the dishes. So you need to make sure you're good at it. You know, you scrub the whole thing. So at the end, my mom was cooking the whole thing and they're like, now you have to wash the dishes. But I didn't do it. No, you have to watch and learn. Watch and learn. Oh my God, I've been watching you the whole time. I'm done watching dishes. So it's like, okay, she told me like, if you really want it next time, I'll do it. Oh my God. Okay. But yeah, my mom was also a very big, uh, moms in Peru cook, almost all, all of them like cooking. So I would say my mom and my grandma were the main ones that started that, you know, engine inside me. Yeah. I mean, so how did it go from just something that you enjoyed, you know, doing with your grandmother or your mother to applying for culinary school at Le Cordon Bleu in Lima? Okay. So... I had my I had my own journey through the education system prior to finding culinary school. To be honest, mm -hmm. now that you mentioned that, I didn't really wanted to become a chef at the beginning because, to be honest with you, I was a little scared of mm -hmm. not being good enough to make decent money or make a living out of it. Because even though Peru is huge in culinary in food, it was like a scary path to follow without having some family chefs in the background that kind of like okay let me show you the way mm -hmm. so it was kind of like i don't know so i went to law school for one year i went for to law business school. school yeah i went to law school for one year i went to and i dropped out i dropped out both in law and business school so i was i didn't know what to do but before that i my personality back in high school i was always very moving around very like a squirrel no like i didn't know what to do with my hands <laughs> hard to pay attention at class didn't know what to do with my hands so um, i struggled myself to the finish line of high school like to be honest and mm -hmm. i don't know how i did it but my parents were a little worried about my future that time to be fair and i then drop out business school drop out law school i didn't know what to do so before i went to culinary school, I wanted to make sure that was what I really wanted it before dropping out of that again, right? So <laughs> Fair. I just went to knock doors to restaurants and they finally once one restaurant said, okay, you know what? You want to work for free? You want to try it out? Welcome, come in. And the second I stepped in into the kitchen, I fell in love. The mm -hmm. adrenaline, the teamwork, the dynamic, the pressure, the flying tickets. I found like my what for for some people will sound like chaotic for me it was heaven right I was like, mm. oh my god this is my place i like to work under pressure i like the environment so what it was supposed to be a two-hour shift it was like a 12-hour rush wow. i really at the end of the day i wanted it more 
And that's what I did. I worked there for like six months. Then I went to another restaurant for six more months. And then I was like, okay, this is for me. I really want to like pursue this the right way. So I went to culinary school. Not that there is anything wrong with not going to culinary school and becoming a chef because most of the majority of my mentors have never stepped in a culinary school and they're like the best, you know? Mm. But anyways, I went to culinary school and I, I came from not having a good education system of not being good enough to an education that excited me a lot because mm. I wanted it to be the best and I needed it to learn more. So after that, I, I knew it was time for me to continue my education in a different sense. So I moved to the U.S. to a city where most of the most competitive chefs in the world uh, were working, right? I moved to California, to San Francisco, and I had two, sometimes three jobs a day, Michelin-star restaurants in high-end hotels, because I became obsessive. And at that time... I didn't do it for the money. I did it because I really wanted to learn. I wanted to like, to, you know, to bring my culture, my gastronomy and my desire to put my, you know, my, my thing of Peruvian cuisine right there. So I knew that one day I was going to have the opportunity to have my own team, to have my own opportunity. So I, all I wanted it was resources and tools mm. for my toolbox. Can you share some of those invaluable lessons and experiences that you gained in these very prestigious Michelin star kitchens? Absolutely. I have a few. I will leave you as a couple just to make this, uh, you know, uh, user friendly. <laughs> uh, one, one of those is like, I remember I was very tired because I was doing like doubles, double for a long time. And one of my mentors, Jason Poe, amazing chef, was at the line, right? I was a line cook. I finished a dish and I bring him to him in the past. And I knew inside me that that dish that I gave to him to take out of the dining room wasn't 100% right. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't 100% right. So I was like, okay, whatever. I'm, it's it's going to be okay. It's just one dish, right? He stopped the dish. He looked at it and he was like, hey, Rodrigo, come here. He said, and I was like, well, yes, chef. He like, everything you do is an extension of you. Everything. Every little thing you do is an extension of you. So if you don't feel proud of it, don't serve it. All right? That touched my soul, you know? Because afterwards, I told him, and he asked me, do you, are you proud of this? Of course, I said no, right? Mm. So he told me, never again give me something that you don't feel proud of. All right? Mm. This is you. This dish is you. You're better than this. All right? So redo it. So that was amazing because I can't stop thinking about that phrase during the whole service. So I, after service, I I couldn't like with myself, right? So I was like, hey, Shay, I want to talk to you. I, I'm so sorry, you know, like I, I, I had a rough day. Excuses, right? Like I don't give a crap. He said, well, excuse mm-hmm. right? Everybody has an excuse. You do it right or you don't do it right. That's, that's There is only two ways. Good or bad. There is no middle. And let me tell you something, because this lesson, take it with you outside the kitchen, he said, because you have to be proud of everything you do, not only in the kitchen, which as a friend, as a father, as a as an employer, one day you're going to have your own team, one day you're going to be facing them. And this is how you do leadership. You know, this is how people are going to want to follow. Not because you are an aggressive leader that, ah, do this, do that. It's like, because I, you teach with the example, you teach with actions, you teach with, you know, that's how you people trust you. All right. So I cannot trust you if you do things like that. And I was mm. like, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Put a mad. I start crying. I just kidding. I didn't cry. <laughs> but, but that's one of the main lessons. And I applied this into my kitchen in, in Artesan in New York. I, I tell this story every time because I, I think it's, it has such important, impactful meaning in me that I try to tell the guys, no, listen, guys, everything you do is an extension of you. How you say hi to the people, how do you look in the eye, how you shake a hand, you know, how you talk, how you express yourself. Everything is you. That's, you have to be sure you're, you're doing the right way. If, if this is how you want people to see you, if, this, if you're doing something with meaning, then, then, then do it, right? But, if, mm. be, but I just want people that want to be the best of themselves every single day they're here, you know? Another amazing lesson was like, you need to learn how to delegate, you know, you Mm -hmm. cannot do it all. You need to trust your team because at the end of the day, it's like, 
one chef I remember, no, I was I became a sous chef at a Michelin restaurant, and I was the most I've been, no, in that at that time, and I was like wanted to do everything so perfect that sometimes you like overlook instead of like you know because but in an innocent way because I just wanted to do right, right? I wasn't trying to do anything wrong. So executive chef put a 50-year-old guy, like 40 years of experience, you know, come to me and tell me, hey, listen, Rodrigo, I really like you, all right? You're a hard worker. You're always on time. You're the first one and arrive, the last one in leave, and et cetera, et cetera. But listen, you need to learn how to trust your team because one day you're going to have your restaurant, you're going to have your own staff, and you also have to understand that a restaurant is a business, Okay. So if you are 24 hours at the restaurant, then there is not a business. There is not a business. It's a job. And you need to be able to be outside the restaurant to have creativity, to open a second location, to, you have to think like that now. At that point, I didn't think like that. I think like kitchen service, 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 perfection, perfection, service, service, you do this, you, you, lay, come here, do it. That's true. If I really want to have my restaurant and have a life, and maybe mm-hmm. be an entrepreneur and have a, ne- a second business, I need to create a system that allows me to have my team working good, but not be depending on me. And mm-hmm. I think that that also applies to any type of business industry, uh, not only in the food, not in any business in the world. If you are there all the time and you cannot let them happen, then you are a worker, but not like a business owner. And then you have to work hard at the beginning, but you have to find a way when you detach a little bit. But that's it. Rodrigo talks about applying what he's learned in culinary school to his restaurants and what it's like cooking for NBA stars when we come back. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How have you kind of taken some of those lessons and applied them in your restaurant, Artisano, in New York City? A lot. Actually, I am actually, as we speak, doing that. No, I'm in Florida right now and my restaurant is open. I'm not there today. And I'm flying to Mykonos next week for a consultation for three weeks. So again, the system. So when we opened Artesano the first year, I was almost seven days a week, 24 (laughs) hours, sleeping in the PDR. Like I was literally living at the restaurant, but because I'm the type of guy that when they start a project, I rather 
go beyond the line for a short period of time than stuck there for a long time, then it's hard for me to leave. So we create strong, strong bases, a strong system where my amazing team is is doing an amazing job. So I go to New York one week out of the month. Mm-hmm. Every season I go change the menu. I have daily phone calls with my chef de cuisine. Of course, I know exactly what's going on. I know exactly what happened yesterday, but I don't have to be there every day. You know, I can watch them from my camera here. <laughs> so if they're not working. <laughs> so, Always watching. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always watching, guys. My boys, I don't know where we'll come to the kitchen. So that's the thing, you know, and then they feel good because you don't have somebody breathing in your neck, you know. I said, this is your space. Be creative. Try it out. This is what you what we do, you know. And I think that we have a very nice philosophy in the kitchen. That's why between the flexibility, the freedom and the environment, I mean, we have happy people working with us in Artesan, unfortunately. We're opening actually our second location, first quarter of 2025 in Brickell, Miami, oh, Artesan in Miami. So thank you very much. Yeah, we're actually just signed the lease and starting construction very soon. So that's a very good indicator that, that it's working, you know? Absolutely. It sounds like, you know, from your stories that this was an idea that you kind of, you know, were working towards for a while. What was the vision for this restaurant and what was it like seeing that come to life? Yes. So Artesano is, oh my God, it has a lot of meaning, you know, let's start with the name of it, Artesano, Mm -hmm. like handcrafted, artisan and handmade, you know, so everything goes around that, no? Like we're crafting dishes every time you sit under the table, one by one, you know, and, and everything, all the concept goes around it. Like, for example, our dishes took over six months to arrive to, to New York because they are stone dishes made in Peru. They are like literally stone dishes from the rivers. Oh, so the actual, a- the actual like dishes yeah yeah the actual dish where we put the the food in it mm-hmm. so it's it's made for an artesano in peru an artesian guy so all of it and our our cups our dishes you know the the architecture around it too is like very like architecture like stone so we were trying to tell you that we're trying to handcraft our vision of peruvian cuisine we are a very inclusive kitchen we understand that to do good food you have to be open-minded and to allow other techniques and culture to join the party, to discover new flavors, new textures, new ideas. So we don't do traditional Peruvian cuisine. We do tradition as an inspiration, but we like to play around. You know, some people hate that, (laughs) especially (laughs) the traditional ones. Some people appreciate that. And at the end of the day, when you put when when you throw yourself out there, you have to be okay that there are some people that are gonna like what you do, and some people that won't, and that's fine. We need both, right? We are mm-hmm. not called going. We are not gonna like a hundred percent of the people, but I believe that if you stick true to yourself and do what you think is best with your heart and do it the right way, I think it's just a matter of time to things follow along. Are there particular ingredients or flavors, though, that consistently, you know, show up in your menus? Yes, of course. We I love spicy, but mm-hmm. not all. I love peppers, I should say. Sometimes spicy. Sometimes I just like the flavor of the spicy, but not the spiciness. So okay. there's techniques of remove the spicy out, but just to preserve the flavor of the actual fruit or vegetable. So we do that a lot of artesano. We ferment some peppers. We play around with the actual paper in pastes to make them jam or to make them sweet. So we, because Peru has very nice and different, unique type of chilies. So we bring rocoto from Peru. We bring ají amarillo. We bring mochero. We bring like a machete. So a different type of peppers that we like to play around and to create like different sauces. But also like, of course, so this is the thing. Every dish in artesano has a story to tell. All right. It's not like, oh, this tastes good. That's why it's in the menu. No, this dish represents the Andes of Peru and the server have to explain you absolutely everything about the dish, right? You come here for the experience. So for example, we have a, a dish in the menu that is called gnocchi wakatai. Wakatai is a herb that grows in the Andes, in Cusco, mm. in very high altitude. So what we do is we try to make the dish around that ingredient, right? The wakatai. 
So with the herb, we make a wakatai butter, we make a wakatai oil, we make a wakatai powder, we make a wakatai gnocchi. So at the end, we're trying to maximize the ingredient. Of course, there are some things that have to be in consideration with to creating a dish. Like, of course, flavor is the most important. I don't care if you're trying to make the shrink dance break dance in the dish. If it doesn't <laughs> taste good, then we don't do it, you know? So I have to taste good. You have to tell a story. You have to taste personality. You have to taste technique. And it have to be beautiful presented. And I have to have, you know, they have to be like New York style. So modern, mm-hmm. you know, with personality. And let's go. So that's kind of like <laughs> what we do. It could be a, a tasty menu. You could have a dish inspiring an herb from the mountains. You can have my grandma ceviche to open the tasty mm-hmm. menu. We'll just go back to normal. So that's inspiration, but we probably play around with the presentation, ingredients, balance to have a little, something a little more refined, but it's still my grandma ceviche. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's what you have. And then you have an amazing dish at the end that is, for example, morai, that is a dessert that is inspired in the Incas diet and also in a geography site in Cusco called Morai. So Morai, if you Google it, is a, a there are Andes. I don't know how to call it. So basically, Morai is a place in Cusco. Basically, okay. there are different circles like this circle under the bottom, and every layer has a different soil and a different mm-hmm. weather. It's amazing, yeah. The Incas used to use it for experimentation. So we were thinking the other day, how can we make this representation and combine it because this goes together, right? Because the Incas experience practice in those soils what ingredients work for winter, for summer, what soil is better for potatoes, for corn. So they use that for for their food at the end. So we combined that idea of morai, and then we wanted to combine it with the two most eaten ingredients from the Incas, which like the, was cheese and was corn. So we start creating and we bought a silicone mold that looks just like morai, literally. I'll send you a photo later, remind me. <laughs> So it's a cheesecake, it's a cheese mousse. We mm. we spray it with the green cacao, so it looks like it's a grass on top. And then we make a ice cream, corn ice cream. We do like a yeah, lime gel. Wow. So work, working all the ingredients into a dish. And that was kind of cool. No? So you're like, oh, the idea is that you find dishes that they're only artisanal. You won't go to the next door Peruvian cuisine and find this dish, you know, this only mm-hmm. here. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. What do you love about you know, fine dining and, and and creating these experiences for people. And why was that, you know, important for you, for your restaurant? When I have the opportunity to showcase Peruvian food in New York City, I knew I had a big responsibility and whatever I was going to present in the restaurant saying it's Peruvian food, it could take, it could be interpreted the wrong way. So I wanted to make sure that I was proud of what I was serving, that I knew that this is like, but I have to also at the same time, as I mentioned, I had to stick true to myself, you know, and I have to do my version of what I think that is, is me. You know, this is what I think is working. This is what I think I'm proud of this representing Peruvian food. So we, we, I, it was a little hard to convince a little bit my, my business partner at the beginning they wanted, no, bro, let's just do Lomo Saltado, classic stuff, bro. <laughs> you know, and they're like, I, we have to do something different. We have to be different, mm-hmm. you know? And then we, sometimes we have specials, yeah, but like in the main the main course of the restaurant, it's a little different, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is it, I know you, you had mentioned that you will be opening one in Florida, but I know you've been doing pop-ups down there as well with um, yes. LU. How, yes. how similar and different are these two restaurant concepts? Well, this is the thing. IU started back in California. Okay. Mm. I used to do this once. It's funny. My first pop-up and San Francisco pop-ups are big. All right. Mm-hmm. So I I wanted to, once I was working in Michelin restaurants, I felt like I feel ready to throw myself out there and see what the people say about it. I need to, I need opinions. I need like, but if you invite somebody, they're going to, oh, it was good. I need somebody to pay for it and give me a review. You know, mm-hmm. so I, what I did is I rented a coffee shop for one night. I told him, bro, listen, you open for 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and you close at night. Rent me the space for 5 to 9 or 5 to 11, make some extra money. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll clean after. Put that. I went around a lot of places until once a yes. 
My first pop-up, I'm not kidding, huh? only two people show up. Oh. I was like, oh my God, I was living in San Jose. So I was like, I'm going to go all the oh, way wow. to San Francisco, driving 60 miles just for two people. But I was like, you know what? These guys, to start, didn't even know that they are the only ones showing up. They're just buying their ticket. Then they're making plans to come and try this. And I haven't done this before, so I'm going to do it. I went. I did it. They love it so much that they hired me the next week for their birthday. 90 oh. people. So it wow. was a reward of not giving up. Uh, those are little life lessons that told me like, bro, things get hard at the beginning. You're going to quit. So how are you supposed to have your own restaurant? Dude, you have to do it. And I did it. So anyways, this was just a memory. But what I was trying to say is that I, it gets so popular, those pop-ups, that after, first it was once a month, then two times a month, then it was every Saturday. And then it was every Saturday, twice a day. So I have wow. two sittings, five to seven and 7.30 to 10. And then we did it like for like five years. And then we got like a pop-up restaurant. Then when I then when I came back to Florida, because once our artesano was doing great, and I I'm always trying to keep doing something. So I went back home here in Florida. I was like, I need to be doing something. I need to keep my wife. I was like, bro, just calm it, calm down. You know, like, <laughs> you're like creating content, running a restaurant. Like, dude, chill. No, no, no. I can't do something else. So I started doing pop-ups again. I reactivate IU. I make a deal partnership with the. With a with a coffee that I my favorite coffee shop that I went, bro, let's do something together. Oh my god, I love the idea. So we started doing that every Saturday. And every Saturday has been like super sold out. The waiting list for three weeks. I love it. Mm -hmm. So I do that just for fun, to be honest, because I really like it. But it's the same idea. Creative dishes, very pulled together. It's literally like a whole blown restaurant for the weekend. Servers, runners, expo, wow. managers, 20 people in action. Yeah. How do all these experiences within your restaurants compare to cooking for celebrities and NBA stars? Is it, Do you kind of take the same approach or, or do you have to, to be a little bit different with those? Oh, it's, it's very different for sure. Mm -hmm. And so that's more like, well, it's the pain of the athlete. I, I, I cook for a few. Some have a way, a little more like a strict diet. Some doesn't really have strict diet they are just super picky like i have this athlete i won't say names but he literally eat two vegetables asparagus and broccoli and i have to turn my brain around to make those two vegetables in gazillion different ways i was running <laughs> running out of ideas and like, hey, listen would you be down to explore new flavors no i just want this two vegetables whatever oh my god okay let's do that it's kind of like limited I have mm -hmm. some other clients that they were like foodies, right? Oh my God, I love Japanese cuisine, Peruvian food. Just make me a tasty menu every time. Oh my God, that's my gen, right? I can get creative. I have some that they love homey dishes so they feel like they are not entering to a restaurant. They want to feel like they're eating at home, you know? They want fresh made rice, a nice stew, a nice fresh salad, simple, healthy, well-balanced. And listen, I told you, that's what I cook in my home. So it's basically... Mm -hmm what I cook at home. So basically I'm going to cook you what I normally eat at home. All I need is your allergies, your food preferences, if you have intolerance, whatever, and then I'll work on that. So what I do is just, I like to be one week ahead. So this is the menu for next week. And then by the end of Friday, for the next Friday, so I can, you know, for for the shoppies and everything. But I did it because I, I was, I, this is a true, right? Back in 2020, in the pandemic, Mm. The Raptors came to Tampa, right? To find a, a city to be the locals. And I was fan of Norman Powell, one of the basketball at that time. He's playing right now in a different team. So, you know what? I'm going to reach out. I was like, hey, hey, listen, I'm private chefing. If you need any help, put that. Her, her manager, Jennifer, called me right away. I said, hey, listen, Norman is actually looking for a private chef. Let's talk. Uh, so literally two days after, we started working together. It was amazing wow. experience. Yeah, that's cool. What's the most difficult? Cooking for, you know, an athlete with like a very specific diet, cooking for restaurant guests or cooking for social media? I think cooking for an athlete, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would say that by far, some of them, I remember one of them I had to before create, that's what I quick. I think that was my last one because it, it was taking a little too much of my time and also 
Every time I have to make a menu, I have to talk, I have a meeting with a nutritionist, with a psychologist, because X ingredients affect their mood. Like, what the heck, bro? It's a carrot. It's just a carrot. <laughs> no, but too much carrot, too much carrot, bro. Come on, man. Like, no, I cannot do this anymore, man. That's sad. Man. <laughs> I mean, I, it was frustrating because what this guy, I needed to, it was like a kid because he was like, make sure he drinks his protein shake before train. Well, okay, but what do you mean I have to make sure? Like, do I have to make sure he drinks it in front of me or like, no, just do it and put it like in the fridge and he will drink it and he'll leave. Okay. So what I do is I, I, I'll, I'll make his breakfast and put the protein shake and then I'll come back for making dinner. Right. And then when I come back, the shake was there in the fridge. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, hey, so, oh, I made you a shake, by the way, in the morning. I don't know if you saw it. It was there, like, uh, you know, your nutrition team told me I need to drink it. Oh, don't worry about that. Don't listen to that. We're good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and then I didn't know what to do because I had, should I lie to them and tell them he drink it? Or like, I mean, he's the one paying me right now. So, you know, so I was like, oh my God, I, I cannot be babysitting these guys, you know? So I was like, okay. I put my two weeks notice and then I move on because we, we had a, another project going on, but it was fun. I mean, I would do it again, but, uh, but I don't know right now. I probably won't. I am a little busy. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like you're a little busy. How do you have time even for, you know, social media videos at this point? Well, my second passion is teaching. So okay. I was like, okay, how can I teach something that I enjoy doing? So I was like, let's teach how to cook. So I start doing my recipes and I do it like when I have time, I'm trying to be consistent at it because it happens to be a nice side gig because mm -hmm. a lot of deals are starting to, to come in and opportunities because of this, to be honest. So I was like, oh, why not to explore this route? Because this is the thing. If you asked me 10 years ago that I would be able to make money outside a kitchen, I will tell you how am I supposed to make money if I'm a cook? I need to stand up in a kitchen and cook i cannot mm -hmm. work remote as a cook i need to be physically in a place but with youtube with instagram with you know documentaries or whatever you can and i'm like in the point of my life where yeah i so the older i grow i get like that my my life goals change a little bit so even though we're opening miami and i if something happens in the future and we do a little more then welcome to it. It just happened that it's naturally happening, but I'm not looking for it. But what I'm looking for is to have more time for me to be able to, to do what you're doing. I have a podcast, you know, and I'm talking with this guy that is in Florida, but I don't have to be in Florida with him, right? you know, and I make money and I, I'm happy and I have time for me and I can show my personality and I can whatever. Then that's what I would like to keep pursuing because I think that the f my future, at least, is right there. I had to ask you, you did have a viral TikTok making scrambled eggs with a, an ostrich egg. So I'm curious yeah. if you've tried any other recipes with one since then. Honestly, that was crazy. I, I, I thought <laughs> that that was not going to perform any well at all because it was like, again, but I wasn't working in, working in the farmer's market in New York. And I saw this huge egg and I was like, Oh my God, I honestly never tried an orchid egg before. So I'm going to buy it. And I was like, okay, I paid $30 for one freaking <laughs> egg. I'm going to make a video That's out a of it. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to eat it. So the girl was telling me, yeah, because it's like 24 eggs in one and, wow. and this and that. And I was like, okay, I need to know the taste of it. So once I made the video and Honestly, for me, I don't know if th there is different type of flavor, but that flavor tastes like a normal chicken egg. I mm. didn't notice any different at all. It was literally the whole pack of eggs that you buy in the supermarket inside one egg. So when you <laughs> drop it, so I'm like, no, it's not worth it. I I'd rather, it's not worth it. So I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it again, but it was fun though. To open it, yeah. I need to use a hammer. It was crazy. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and some, coming from someone who loves eggs so much that you have a tattoo of one on your arm, I yep. feel like you are you are somewhat of an expert in the subject, right? Oh, yeah. I, I know one thing or two about eggs, and I'm telling you, that flavor wasn't something. I like duck eggs, though. Those are my favorite. Duck All eggs. Right. Those are good. <laughs> duck eggs. Yes. All right. Well, I guess a final question, you know, before we head to rapid fire and, and our, our last question, what's what's next for you? What are you excited for in the coming year? So hot news, 
I'm telling you, Ooh, I'm going okay. to Peru to to do a documentary. Wow. About ceviche. It's going to be about ceviche and it's going to be a huge, amazing production. And hopefully once it's the cine of Peru, we present it to Netflix or HBO. We'll see. But that is, is that ambitious. No, it's going to be a great, and I, I'm very proud of being part of this. I'm going to be the host. So going around Peru, the three regions, the jungle, the mountains, I'm going to go to my town, Chiclayo, and I'm going to talk with this. I have my my friends. I mean, I have a lot of connections because I'm from there. There's like still people that have 90, 99 year old that are making ceviche the way it used to be 200 years ago. So we're trying to wow. talk about the origins that we used to be, talk with the most prestige chef in Peru, the influence that has also Peruvian ceviche in cuisine from around the world. Because I went to, I was in Europe not too long ago and I noticed there are ceviche menus and because it's just that good. And it's also, we, we've been inspired for so many cuisines, but now we're also inspiring cuisines to, you know, wow. play around with these techniques. So I think it's important that there is something good out there that tells you the story in a nice and easy digestive way for the world, no? And I'm excited for that. That's so awesome. Congratulations. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that one come to light as well and yes. all of your other things that you have in store. So thank you so much for taking the time. We're going to finish things off with a little rapid fire round and then one final question that we ask everybody here on the podcast. So rapid fire questions, celebrity that you've loved cooking for the most. Reese Hoskins. He's the pitcher of the Phillies. Oh, amazing. The, yeah, he's, oh, I love it. He was the foodie. So he's the one that let me do whatever I want. <laughs> so I love, I love Reese. Best yeah. kind of customer. One word to describe your cooking style. Bolt. If you weren't a chef, what profession would you pursue? Acting. Mm. Go to comfort food. Chinese food. First dish that you mastered. Ceviche. Favorite Ceviche. midnight snack. Oh my God. My wife is going to kill me. <laughs> I love, I sneak in the kitchen and reheat at the pizza slice from dinner earlier. Amazing. We've yeah. all done it. Go to condiment. Salt. Oh, I mean. Oh, sure. Oh, Let's... I mean, yeah, that's the basic one. I, I cannot <laughs> cook without it. Yeah. All right. Our final question is not rapid fire. You can take as long as you want on this and there are no rules. We just want to know what would be on the menu for your perfect food day. So we want you to take us through your breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. You can travel, time travel, spend as much money as you want. Anyone can cook these meals for you. It's your day. Have at it. Oh, wow. If I have all <laughs> these luxury <Yes>. options, <laughs> I would definitely start with the French scrambled eggs, seven mm -hmm. of them for sure. And they have to be duck eggs. Duck Remember eggs. my tattoo? So yes. yeah, because I love that eggs. And since I don't eat it every day, if it's a one-time thing, why not? You know, yeah, it's your I'll day. do my scrambled eggs. Yes. I'll put a little bit of, a little bit of cream, cream cheese too, some mm. chopped chives, salt. They have to be cooked in, in, in butter. Mm -hmm. And then I, I will serve it with a, a very nice and toasty uh, sourdough. But I don't like the when the toast when the bread is like over toasted that it's kind of like mm -hmm. too hard. I like it like toasted in the outside, but like it's soft in the middle. Mm -hmm. Oh, delicious! Has to be. <laughs> I love avocado, so definitely avocado. And I will put a, a dash of chili oil on top of mm -hmm. my eggs just yeah. to give a little bit of this, you know, spiciness to there. That's for the food then. I love orange juice. I'm a simple guy in the breakfast, but natural <laughs> orange juice, no bottled orange juice. So some okay. orange juice right there. I think 100% a good cup of black coffee. Okay. Freshly ground, <laughs> you know, and that's it. So that will be my breakfast. Mid-morning, I will 100% go to Chef Wong, which is a very old chef in Peru mm -hmm. that makes the best ceviche in the planet. Mm. He is amazing. And he doesn't have a menu in his restaurant. He literally wow. cooks what he wants. So you go there and you you ask, I want a cold dish and a hot dish. Perfect. He'll just get the fish, slice it right there, wow. make your fresh ceviche. Yeah, that good. So definitely wow. I will have a meat, meat snack with that ceviche. Yes. So fresh, so delicious, the best. Amazing. Then I will probably travel to Spain for lunch. Okay. And then I will get a beautiful paella 
Oh, mm. as you can tell, I love seafood. So <laughs> to have all the seafood involved mixed to there. Yeah, I would I would have that for lunch. Then for dinner, I would go to Gordon Ramsay's kitchen and I will make him make me his famous beef wellington. Okay. And we will have a nice glass of red wine. I will chat about food, life, mm. you know, and, and catch up. Are you having dessert? Oh, yeah. Yeah, why not? I will go. For this, I need to go back to Chiclayo. I'm sorry. But mm. from London, I'll take a plane. I'll go back to my town. <laughs> I'll knock my auntie's door and I'll say, please, can you make me some picarones? Picarones is basically the Peruvian style of churros. Mm. It's like a fried dough. And we make yeah. a nice honey chancaca sauce. It's unbelievably amazing with a nice ice cream on top. That's all you need to be a happy person. Wow. That is that is quite the food day. And I love that we traversed to multiple countries for it. And it sounds absolutely perfect. Congratulations again on the new addition to the family, the new restaurant upcoming, the documentary, all of the things. So many exciting projects in the works. And we can't be more thrilled for you. Thank you so much, Amy, for the invitation. course, you can catch Rodrigo's episodes of Dig In With on foodnetwork.com. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.